So I'm actually doing the Dharma talk tonight and I'm also doing it next week, which is the, the week between uh, this holiday, upcoming holiday and the new year. So I've got kind of a two-part little thing I'm working on here and I'll just see how far I get tonight. I may not get all of tonight's talk in, but there's always next week, which is a, a nice, a comforting feeling. Um, I'm just so aware of this amazing season of dark and light. Solstice, I believe, is tonight. It's either last night or tonight. I always get mixed up. Probably you all know. But the longest night of the year. <sighs> and then it's all return of the light thereafter for another six months or so. And um, no, no surprise that, that some of the major religious holidays of our traditions fall around this time of year. Um, it's, uh, it's something people have been celebrating and honoring the, the dark and the light for time out of mind. It's the most ancient of rituals and practices. And so I think when a spiritual tradition wants to really um, plant itself, like this is an important tradition, maybe it, if it makes any sense at all, they time it for this time of year. I'm just guessing. But um, I was raised, as you know, I think you all know, I was raised in a Christian family. My dad was a minister. And so this season is just, I love it. I just love it. I got the birthday, and then the next day it's Christmas Eve, and then the next day it's Christmas, and then we all fall apart and are exhausted. And <laughs> it's just great. Um, and I really love the story of Jesus. I love the whole birth story. It's got so it's got drama in it, you know, these poor this woman, this young woman who's not married and somehow got this baby as a little girl. I never understood that and nobody ever explained it to me, which is fine. And um you know, she's got this man who's who's not yet her husband and they're traveling on a donkey. <laughs> And then the, the, the myth is they couldn't find room at the inn, so they had to sleep in the stable. Apparently that is a myth. I heard a great sermon the other day. Where, or no, it was a poem by Pastor Stephen where he said, you know, they stayed in the upper room of the inn. with The cousins owned the inn. It, they were not destitute. So much for that great story. But still, baby Jesus in the manger still has some resonance for me. And this is a birth, like a lot of birth stories of great historic figures, religious figures, is a story full of omens and prophecies and wise visitors that say wise things about the future of this, you know, this baby and so forth. And I, I just, I just love it all. So, what's a Buddhist doing talking about all this? Why am I saying it in a Dharma talk about this? Well, Thich Nhat Hanh, when I first set, went retreated with him back in '87, one of his very early Western retreats. He made this point that I know he made a lot to his Western people, which was do not try to become a Vietnamese brown-robed monk, you know, or do not try to become some Asian thing because in order to be a Buddhist, you have to do that. It's like, no, no, you know, the, the Dharma is just the truth. I mean, these are my words, not his. The Dharma is just the truth. It's just the way things are, and it can exist in any tradition. And I, re I found this quote in his book, Living Buddha, Living Christ, that I thought I'd read to you. He says, during the last 15 years, while sharing the Buddha's Dharma in the West, I always urged my Western friends to go back to their own traditions and rediscover the values that are there those values they have not been able to touch before. The practice of Buddhist meditation can help them do so, and many have succeeded. Buddhism is made of non-Buddhist elements. Buddhism has no separate self. 
when you are a truly happy Christian, or Jew, or Muslim, or Hindu, or pagan, you are also a Buddhist, and vice versa. <laughs> he had such an open mind and an open heart. So the Buddha, it was, the Buddha's birth story is also a big story, and it's not from the, uh, this time of year. It's June that we celebrate Vesak. And, um, but also prophecy, wise visitors, um, all these omens that this was an amazing birth and a very important one. But so I've thought a lot about Jesus and Buddha and about Christianity and, and Buddhism because they're my two traditions and they dwell very comfortably together. It wasn't always comfortable, but I have found a way that it works. And, um, you know, they were born into very different circumstances and yet they arrived at the same place. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little later. But I want to start with my birthday, <laughs> since we're celebrating birth. So I don't have any big miracle stories about my birthday, but I have a cute little one that I'll tell, and um, which was my, it was my mom's third child, so her labor went rather quickly. One of their best friends was also in labor with their first baby, but because it was her first baby, it was slower. So they're both in the hospital. The, the, the other woman goes in first before my mom, and she's still in labor when my mom gets there. And the guys are out in the waiting room because that's what they did in those days. And they're sitting there and they're sitting there. And the new dad who's, who's waiting for his first baby is really fidgety, really fidgety because it's really taking a long time. And um, my mom finally popped me out without too much delay. And so there was my dad with his new baby daughter. So my dad says, hey, let's go out for some Chinese food. You know, let's, let's take a break here. It's going to be a while. So they go out for Chinese food. And my dad, they both opened their fortune cookie. And my, the friend, the other guys, his fortune cookie said, don't worry, everything will be all right. And my dad said, congratulations. So I think that's kind of miraculous. That's close enough. That's, that's the best miracle I've got about my birth. But um, what I want to do is actually sing you a song that I have written, oh gosh, 10, 15 years ago about my Christmas birthday. And it really leads into the, the real, what I really want to talk about tonight, which is how we are born into causes and conditions. Our birth may be as miraculous as the sea turtle story the Buddha tells. You know, the Buddha's story about why this life is so precious and we don't want to waste it, is he said, imagine that there's an ancient sea turtle swimming the seven seas, swimming the seven seas, and there is a ring like a life ring floating on the water. And every hundred years, the sea turtle surfaces. Hundred years, and then goes back down for another hundred years. And it says the chances of us being born are as about the same as that sea turtle coming up with its head through the ring. So it is, we are a miracle. It is a miracle that we, we, we lucked out. We won the lottery. Here we are. So this song, um, I think is really, well, I wanted to sing it partly because I just love it and partly because it does really lay out the causes and conditions parts of this, how we're all born into a world already happening. And everything that's happening, sisters, brothers, parents, no sisters, no brothers, no parents, whatever, it all immediately impacts our nervous system and our hearts and our minds. And we become, we begin to become the conditioned beings that we are now.
So I'm going to do, I'm going to just get this set up and I'm going to just to ask you, because it's a little tricky, I'm singing with a pre-recorded piano track. If my voice isn't loud enough or it's breaking up, please wave at me. Okay, because it means I have to turn it up. Thank you. Love, thank you so much. Okay, here we go. I was born so close to Christmas I thought all those lights were for me I was born so close to Christmas My sisters thought Mom found me under the tree It was a time of joy and I soaked it up but sorrow lingered in the holiday cup cause my mama's mama was giving up her life that very same year I was born when the earth was cold sunlight danced but it could not melt. Mama smiled, but her eyes were old, and winter shadows were what I felt. And I reached for light in the midst of tears. I reached for music to calm my fears, and I reached for Mama to hold me near while her own Mama slipped. Cause Christmas is never quite what it seems But we sang the songs with all our hearts Mom and I shared the alto parts And this turning world and I embark Together into a new year 
Oh yeah. Hmm. Love my mom. <laughs> so, so you heard some of the causes and conditions I was born into. It was a time of, of joy, but it was also a time of grief and fear and loss for my mom. And of course I picked that up. Any baby would pick up whatever's going on with their mom. That's just how it is. And, um, and there was also all this excitement in the house with my sisters and the Christmas tree and the presents. So I got all that kind of energy. And then there was my dad. You know, I was the third daughter and I sort of imagined he might have been happy to have a son. He never said a word to that effect. But, you know, just like maybe there was a little disappointment there. I don't know. And then, okay, so those are the very personal layers. And then like all of us, I'm born into a particular race, a particular class, particular religion, particular culture. And the 50s, oh my God, you know. So all of that are causes and conditions that shaped me. Um, and these early experiences lead to adaptations, habits, coping mechanisms, um, coping strategies. Uh, there can be trauma. I mean, there's there's many uh, causes and conditions that are very, very difficult to be born into. One of my best friends, um, her dad was a communist. This is back in, well, she was born in 50 also. And he was uh, well known enough that he got hounded by the that committee, that Joseph McCarthy committee, and brought before them. And some of his friends, you know, ratted on him and he didn't this and that. And wow, I mean, that was a huge disruption in her life of fear of persecution, of um, knowing something's wrong and mommy's scared and daddy's scared but not really understanding what it is. And all of that I know made a deep imprint on her. And if any of you are red diaper babies, you might have some something similar there. And, you know, it, it created some some patterns in her. Of course it would. You know, she's she's someone that struggles with anxiety and a feeling of not belonging or being different than other people. And I'm a little kind of suspicious about who to trust, you know. And thankfully, as we mature, you know, if we're lucky enough, we get to work some of that stuff out. But that's just one example of how causes and conditions create personality. Um, other examples that I'm sure we've all are aware of are people who were raised by Holocaust survivors. And there's an awful lot of, of fear and, and trauma that just is right there in the in the in the in mama's milk. You know, we drink it in with our mother's milk. Then there's you know alcohol and drug use, mental illness. You know, all all of the things. And there's also just um, ordinary family being family and generations of patterns that make people solidify into a cultural expectation. So that's what we're all born into, right? And you probably know this quote by Lao Tzu, but I came across it today and it's so fitting for what I'm talking about. He says, this is the Chinese master Lao Tzu, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And that's great advice. And what he didn't say, because he wasn't the Buddha, was, and a lot of that destiny can be unraveled by practice. And I may talk about that tonight. I may save it for next week. But there is a way out <laughs> of these conditionings. Because when, when I, you know, I'm 71 years old, and I still have this 
I'm really, you, you'll be so, you may be surprised to hear this, but I get so nervous before a talk or a concert or anything where I'm in front of people. Not, I've been doing it for 50 years. Doesn't seem to, to make a difference, right? But so that is a deep conditioning from things that, you know, happened in the past. And I, because of Dharma practice and also 12-step recovery practice, which have a lot of parallels of um, working on our issues, um, a lot of that anxiety has unraveled so that instead of being, you know, sleepless for three nights before an event, I'm just a little jittery two hours before an event. So, you know, that's a big, that's a big shift. And I know you all have examples of that, you know. So... I want to just give you a minute to just close your eyes if you like or just look down and go inward for a minute and just think about your own birth and the causes and conditions that you were born into. What was the situation in your birth? And what do you know just intuitively about your own conditioning? What kinds of personality structures have solidified in you in some way in response to or because of those conditions? They're, they're certainly positive. We're going to talk about positive in a minute. So whatever comes to mind, positive or more of a hindrance. Yeah, just see if you can come up with a couple of things you know particularly at this moment in, in the evening, things that maybe have gotten in your way over time, maybe still get in your way a little bit, stand between you and more freedom and more happiness. Good. Okay, and then we'll just come back from that. So how does practice dissolve all this? I'm going to go really briefly through this because I think I will come back to it next week. But it's work that we have done to some degree, which is basically turning toward that very thing that is making us so uncomfortable, that anxiety, that worry, that inexplicable anger, that sorrow, we don't know where it comes from, whatever it is, turning toward it with a very loving, a kind of a befriending energy of... I'm going to move toward you at the very moment when I want to move away from you, right? And just opening up some time. We slow down. This is the mindfulness. The most beautiful thing is just slowing it down. Oh, something's happening. Noticing something's happening. This is, a, I know this feeling and it is not, I don't like this feeling. Or here I am again, you know? Um, so slow it down. Find a way, if you possibly can, to just bring mindfulness to just first the noticing, just that, recognizing, oh, this is happening. And then the slowing down and the paying attention is the allowing of it. This is the RAIN formula that Tara Brock teaches. So the recognizing, the allowing, just like let it be there. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to turn away from it. Don't try to even analyze it. Just say, ah, oh, yes. As they say in, in Buddhism, this is how it is. This is how it is. And let that just be for a minute without, without the tightening and maybe just noticing if there's tightening and going back to the softness. 
And then the third a the third is inquiry, and that is the kind of questioning. And one layer of question is just what does my body feel like? Is this in my jaw? Is it, am I is my stomach hurt? Am I hot? Am I cold? Just basic mindfulness of the body, because that's where the feelings live. But then the inquiry for me goes beyond that to when have I felt this before? Are there situations I always feel this in? And how far back, how long ago, when, how early can I remember feeling this way? And that's an inquiry that I find very interesting. Um, and then at some point, the next N, uh, according to Tara Brock, there's another N that, that another teacher uses, but I'm going to use Tara's, is kind of, it's called nurture, but I, the question would be to ask that feeling, what do you need? So that's such a loving question. You know, if a hurting child ran to us and was flailing around and sobbing and whatnotting, I, I don't think we would be saying, now stop that, stop that. We'd be saying, honey, what do you need? What do you need? And out of that question often comes a very beautiful, beautiful answer. I need to be accepted. I need to not be left out of you, of your heart, Betsy. Not out, out of the world right now, just out of your heart. I need to know that I'm okay. I need to know that I'm not bad. Oh my goodness. I'm, you know, and you all can come up with that right away. And over time, and this is a slow process, this is not a miracle cure, but over time, my experience is that this conditioned place begins to soften and dilute and dissolve. And as I said earlier, never fully gone maybe, but the difference between a hysteria and a little whimper and a like, whoa, I think I need to take some time for myself. That's a big, that's a big step. And that I'm sure you've had this experience of, of, over time with practice. And then the thing too to remember is that within these coping mechanisms and these conditioned responses, there's usually a very beautiful gift that just got kind of surrounded and encrusted by distress, by trauma, by whatever. Um, so I'm thinking like somebody who's, who grew up in a house with a lot of, of shouting and even abuse might be very conflict aversive and very like, you know, stepping away from anything that could be conflictual. Well, there's a couple of gifts embedded in that. One of them is that if you're afraid of conflict, one, one develops, can develop a very skillful way of communicating, be very diplomatic and well-spoken so that conflict does not arise. And that can be a great gift and a great skill. And it really helps bring down the level of ah in the environment and in the world. Also, that caution, that maybe that tentativeness, the, the, the gift, I think, within that is that there's a, there can be a discerning wisdom about who's safe and who isn't. Believe me, we need to know that. And women especially need to know that. And where there's danger. Some, I, I'm, my partner, David, has, uh, is very hypervigilant and has trauma that I wouldn't want to have. And I, you know, and, and, but he is extremely acutely tuned into who is safe and who isn't. And that is a real gift. It's really something. So those are just some examples. So once again, for a moment, if you just want to just close your eyes and go inward again, 
and just ask yourself what the gifts have are in you what what beautiful qualities are also part of your conditioning either there from the get-go because of wonderful things your family brought you or that really are embedded have been embedded embedded in some of the harder things but remain a gift So I'm, I now I'm going to just jump into the Jesus and Buddha part of this, just because I find it, I just find it so interesting. <laughs> so both of them were born into causes and conditions. And as you know, the Buddha was born into enormous privilege, wealth. His father was a king of a region. His mother obviously was a queen. They had everything they could possibly need. Now, the prophecy, as you probably know, for his birth was that he was either going to be a great teacher, a great spiritual teacher, or a great ruler. It turns out his parents had a preference about this. They wanted the ruler thing. So they decided, I love this story. I mean, it's myth, but it's, there's probably grains of truth in it. They decided to protect their beloved child from anything that would cause him to question the basic happy, life is great, oh, it's so good to be alive, everything's wonderful, I can have whatever I want. Because that doesn't usually lead you to a spiritual journey. And they didn't want him on that spiritual journey. So they surrounded him with pleasure, everything he could possibly want. Any toy, any food, any playmate, you name it, it was his. And he grew up like that for a number of years. Um, like many, you know, wealthy or uh, what can I say, noble people of that time in Nepal. Um, he had a harem. There were lots of women around. He also married and had a child. But he just had access to everything. But wouldn't you know, destiny is destiny. And he began to feel restless, right? And who wouldn't, honestly, <laughs> you know? And he... um. He, he knew that there was something missing. And in the 12-step recovery programs, they have a wonderful name for that feeling of hunger, of seeking, of wanting, no matter how good your life is. They call it that God-shaped hole. Now, the word God is just whatever, you know, you can use it how you like or not use it at all. But the idea is there is something built into our nature that is seeking something deep, true, lasting, reliable. And all of these earthly pleasures are none of those. They're not. They're not lasting. They're not reliable. And they don't, they don't fill enough. So anyway, as you know, he went out looking. He met suffering in many forms. And he said, oh, I, I, this is, uh, there's death. There's sickness. There's old age. We're going to die. Oh my goodness. I can't live in that palace anymore. It's not going to work for me. You can't unknow what you know, right? So off he went on his six or seven year quest to find out, is there any way to be happy in this human realm knowing what I know? And the rest is history, right? So then we go to Jesus. Now he was born very low status, you know, not, not impoverished people, but working class people maybe of the day. And he was born in a time of political occupation and oppression. The Jewish people were under the, the uh, rule of the Roman Empire, and um, it was not a fun situation at all. 
And so he was born into a particular time and a particular class of people and a particular religion that honored knowledge and honored theological thinking and really honored thinking about Yahweh, God. So he, he was familiar with, with danger. He had this unwed mother who was, you know, we already talked about that. And um, Joseph stuck with her, but who knows what kind of shame or fear he felt about what, what his social standing was looking like. So who, you know, who knows the emotional vibe, but in, in comes Jesus, right? And it's possible that because of these, this working class condition and having to actually run, they had to seek, um, they had to escape because uh, the word got out that this, you know, oh, the prophecies, all the prophecies about Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, angels and shepherds and wise men. So word got out, and uh, the the ruler said, "We're gonna, we're we're got to get this kid. We got to get rid of him right away." So they went out looking for a newborn male, and um, so his parents got him out of there. So that's the or that was the atmosphere for Jesus, right? And what did he do when he grew up? At age thirty or so, he um, he went out teaching, just as the Buddha did. He went out teaching a way to find happiness, a way to find peace, a way to fill that that hole inside. And who he drew to him were outcasts, women of ill repute, the Mary Magdalene story, um, poor people, lepers. Um, he didn't hobnob with the, uh, the nobles and the church superiors. He was, a, he was quite radical. He was actually, many believe he was a revolutionary, a social revolutionary. There's a wonderful book called Zealot by, uh, I'm not going to remember his name right now, Aslan, Aslan something. Um, but it, it's he who is a Muslim himself, and it really lays out a narrative about this Jesus as a revolutionary radical. And that's kind of what I was raised with. My dad was a good, solid, you know, lefty, so that's what I grew up with. And he was killed by the state. He was murdered um, and executed for being a troublemaker and being a threat. So those are these two lives starting in very different places, but they both ended up I, traveling to the people and offering what had come to them for the sake of healing and peace. And um, the Buddha lived to a nice old age, and Jesus did not. But anyway, those are just two, just really, to me, really wonderful stories of the spiritual path. And what it says to me that it really doesn't matter what causes and conditions we were born into. We all have this hunger for the life that is free, that is free. And we all become aware if we're, if you wouldn't be here in this Sangha if you hadn't become aware that you were hindered by conditioned habits, emotional, um, uh, what's the word, uh, patterns that happen that you can't control and you don't know, you can't make them go away, you can't make them not come. You may have things that you repetitively do that alienate you from certain people. You know, we've all got our stuff. And we all want freedom so badly. And so here we are. Here we are in the Sangha, you know, bringing our vulnerability, our belonging to each other, our sense of connection. And little by little through this practice and through the Sangha, because practicing together just has so much power. I see us as shedding 
shedding some of our our patterned conditioned behaviors and feelings just as a snake outgrows that skin and just sloughs it aside not once maybe but maybe several times and you know there's this thing in christianity called born again you know and a born again christian well honestly we are all born again and again and again because we keep shedding as we as our in, inner life grows those snake skins just have to fall away and if we if we stay on this path if we practice at whatever level we are able to practice it is assured that we are going to receive some gifts of shedding what no longer serves. And next week, as our New Year's uh, Dharma experience together, we're going to do more practice around shedding and around letting go. It's a traditional thing we do at New Year's, just kind of letting go and moving into the new. So we'll do a, a Dharmic version of that. Um, and again, I just want to just say patience. You know that song, my song, it says, learn to have a patient heart, which is such a telling line because that's the last thing I have. I have one of the most impatient people I know. But this practice is a practice of patience and willing to let slow, slow, gentle, uh, just, I don't even want to say progress, just moving through life, just moving through this wave. It's like standing on the shore and like, okay, move through this wave. Okay, move through that wave. You know, and every time we do that with a kind and gentle spirit of love, of just loving this being, this miraculous, you know, sea turtle through the ring moment that brought Deb and Nancy and Lynn and Linda and Jude and Diane and Wendy and Linda and Tanya into this world. And did I say Betsy? You know, and, um, you know, just like let just bring so much love to that. And again, that the, the, the uh, parami of trust, just trust this process and trust that freedom is possible. It really is possible. So I'm going to stop there because I wonder if anyone is, um, you know, moved to say anything, and particularly if you'd like to share anything about what came up to you, come up for you in your reflection on your own conditioning, either things that hinder you or things that are gifts. I certainly would love to hear them, um, but you don't have to, obviously. So please. You can just unmute when you're ready. Tanya. I guess I can share a little. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, yes. I, I guess I could relate to your partner's um, hypervigilance growing up in an alcoholic family um, and having a lot of unpredictability and just not being able to rely on certain things being a certain way. Um, and I just sort of have come to that realization, though, that that makes me, I'm just very observant. Um, but it, I think in a positive way, I've sort of turned it into, you know, just really appreciating beauty in the world, taking, taking in the details that often get missed that bring me a lot of joy. Um, yeah, so... I'm trying to look at some of these sort of negative conditioning patterns and how they maybe become more positive as I've gotten older. So it's a, it's a process. Oh, can you hear Yeah, it's a transformative mm -hmm. process. I heard again on this retreat, I heard the word alchemy, 
There's a kind of alchemical transformation uh, that this practice seems to bring, right? So thank you for that, Tanya. Who else? I'll, I'll share a little. I was just, um, the thing that surprises me when I read, when I visit this question often. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.